The secret to complete and perfect happiness is found in our gospel today. If that sounds too good to be true, like I'm overpromising, that seems like a red flag, then don't take my words for it. St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the doctors of the church, greatest theologian the church has ever produced, and in, in in most importantly of all, a holy man, he says so. In regards to the Beatitudes, which, which we get in our gospel today, he says, it should be known that in these words, every complete happiness is included. And he goes on to explain what he means. You know, he says that, look, we human beings, we naturally desire happiness. And when, when he says happiness, he's not using it in like the casual way that we tend to, as in, I will be happy if the Chiefs win tonight, right? That's a kind of a low-level happiness. No, he's using it in the highest sense of the word, right? Uh, the complete fulfillment of our very being. Another word he uses for it is beatitude. He says, even though we naturally desire this perfect happiness, we don't naturally know uh, how to obtain it or in what it consists. And so we can go down all kinds of avenues looking for this true happiness. But he says, the Beatitudes of Christ are something of a roadmap, showing us pitfalls to avoid and showing us how to stay on the straight and narrow path. So, for example, you know, St. Thomas says some people seek happiness in wealth, in the accumulation of wealth. Now, money is not a bad thing. We all need money to live. We need money to run the Diddy Center. Uh, people need money to have a roof over their heads and food on their plates and um, money to see the doctor and, and, and on and on. But where money can be a problem is if we pursue money, as if accumulating it will bring us this perfect happiness. If that's the case, we are chasing after a mirage. We may think we're chasing after happiness, but one day we'll realize we've been courting misery all along. To those who seek their ultimate happiness and wealth, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit means, first and foremost, to recognize our spiritual bankruptcy, that our hearts and souls long for much more than a fat bank account or portfolio. To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge that we have a need that can only be filled by the spiritual riches of God, of his grace which he offers and is a share in his own nature. And there is also a connection between poor in spirit and material poverty, not that Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, necessarily you must embrace true poverty. But that material riches can distract us, can numb us from recognizing this spiritual bankruptcy, this need to be filled by, what, by, by, by God, by what only God can provide. Then St. Thomas says there are those who seek this ultimate happiness in the satisfaction of various appetites. So, for example, strange as it sounds, there are some who seek happiness in wrath or in unjust anger. 
You know, perhaps they allow anger at a past wrong to slowly dominate their life and their thoughts. They nurse resentment and a grudge. Perhaps in extreme cases, they slowly grow consumed with desire for revenge. And in response, Jesus offers two beatitudes, saying, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. For the Lord calls us to forgive, even our enemies. Doesn't mean we're saying the wrong didn't happen or that it was okay. But it does mean that we're forgiving them. Moreover, the truth is that vengeance or payback, um, it won't undo the wrong. In fact, we'll find ourselves dissatisfied at the end. And we only hurt ourselves by nursing a grudge. Meekness and mercy are the antidote to this um, ever-growing anger. Then, of course, there are those who seek happiness in the satisfaction of, of kind of pleasures more traditionally understood with gluttony or lust. And in response, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. For at the end of the day, pleasure, which is not bad in and of itself, it's good, but it's fleeting. It's here one moment and gone the next, and we desire an infinite, everlasting good. And what we must do is really drive ourselves, pursue not fleeting pleasure, but righteousness and holiness, which will enable us to experience true eternal satisfaction in the life to come. But of course, you don't have to have the, the intellect and the knowledge of St. Thomas Aquinas to realize ultimate happiness is not in riches or uh, pleasure or fulfilling various appetites. You know, there are many who seek ultimate happiness in things like friendship or romantic love and marriage in family. Those things, friendship, marriage, family, are not only good, they're very good. But they're not the highest good. Because they don't last forever. None of us live forever. Those we love move away, pass away, move on. And again, we desire to possess an everlasting good. And in response, Jesus says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For we ought to mourn for our sins. A lot of commentators will say that's what this beatitude's about, and I think that's true. But we also mourn for the simple fact that our hearts will be restless until they ultimately rest in God, which can't happen in, in its fullness in this life. We mourn that in this life we won't find that perfect happiness we long for, we mourn that in this life we lose family members and friends along the way, but we never mourn without the hope of one day experiencing that perfect happiness and even being reunited with our loved ones uh, in, the, in, the world, in, the, in the life to come. Finally, there are those, St. Thomas says, who, who think ultimate happiness is found in virtue. Now, this might sound strange or a little too philosophical, but uh, you know, I think a little explanation, it makes sense. Virtue is essentially a good habit, right? And so a virtuous person is a good person, right? A person of good character. And when you see it from that angle, it makes a little more sense why people might think that. Now, St. Thomas says virtues are means and not ends in themselves. They are partial means of obtaining the ultimate happiness or beatitude, but they aren't this beatitude itself, partial because we need God's grace. And so in response, Jesus offers two beatitudes. Blessed are the clean of heart, the 
pure of heart, for they shall see God. And he doesn't say they see God, right? Because that's not something that we can get in this life. That's for the next. To see God as he is in himself, that is to experience the complete and perfect happiness we long for. But virtue, if we pursue it with the right understanding, it can enable us to have a clean heart. It can make us peacemakers. And that's the second virtue. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. A reality that begins in this life by his grace. And if we persevere, we will experience in the fullness in the next. And really, we could put the final beatitude here as well. If we love God such that we face persecution for it, we face insult and injury, well, rejoice, for our reward will be great in heaven. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, he often quotes St. Augustine, who, who said, You have created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus shows us the path to walk so that we can ultimately rest in God forever and experience that perfect and complete happiness we long for. May we focus our life on this ultimate goal, God who is our first cause and our final end. May we see in the Beatitudes the way to order our life so that one day we experience Beatitude itself, ultimate happiness, when we finally see God face to face in heaven for all eternity.